Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Artful Athlete podcast and today we're back for a mindful chat which will be our last one for this series but don't worry I'm toying with the idea of actually preparing some more I'll keep you posted on that but today for this last one she's the one who made me read this book a year ago please give a warm welcome to my lovely friend who created a book club that I joined over a year ago now Ilaria hi Ilaria hello how Thanks are you for having me I'm good, I'm good, thanks. So far, so good? Yeah. So far, so good. Although the weather is horrible. The weather's bad today, isn't it? Yeah, and I didn't say the S-H-I-T word, but you know. No, because I'm very thankful that <laughs> you're aware I'm struggling with <laughs> I tried my best. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm going to be fine, as a, I'm going to be the perfect guest. Like, I've even put my English um, attitude on right now. Your English attitude on, yes. Ilaria is Italian, and I happen to be French, as you know, so this will be... <laughs> one heck of a conversation and brain compilation yep a year ago Ilaria messaged me out of the blue telling me that oh you would you be interested in coming to this online conference on friday night it will be with um, madeline miller who had written circe which we'd read in the book club and helen morales who had just released antigone rising which we are talking about today what we didn't know, first thing, is that the conference was going to be happening at, what, one o'clock in the morning for us? I think it was later than that. Ma, you're right. One, yeah, it was 1am. 1am UK time, and we debriefed the book between us before that. Asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Having all the coffee, trying to stay up. But it was a great way to start lockdown a year ago really because it would have happened around this it would have happened around this time of year yeah yeah it must have been and also the way i found out was uh, because as sigolen said i i created this small like you know friends only book club and i um signed up to this midtown scholar or something anyway um email thing um and they just notified me of this event with Madeline Miller and Ellen Morales and I actually I didn't only tell you in my defense I tried to bring in all the other people from the book club but none of them responded because I don't think they have the same passion that we do um with respect to mythology but yeah anyway it was a good one also because we met all those people that we created that Facebook group with yes we did we created yeah, the it's, I forgot about that up until recently it sparked the yes the um, official Madeline Miller oh, fan club <laughs> On Facebook. Oh, I don't really use Facebook no, at all. Got off apart from birthday dates. Um, but <laughs> that's the only reason why I have Facebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm horrible with dates. Uh, but yeah, so that was a cool event. And also, I mean, kudos to us because we downed a whole book in how many days? Two? It was what, nine hours uh, audible? No, it's a... Uh, well... It's four hours, but it doesn't include oh, yeah, the cool. notes. Yeah, so which... that was quite a lot. That was quite, that was quite a lot. Um, 48 hours of, yeah. Anyway. Did you reread Cersei as well before? No. Because Cersei, I think this one, even reading it for, for, the, for this episode, I actually didn't find it as difficult as I thought it would be. But like Cersei would be a whole other, it would take me at least a month. Cersei is like more... It's more pages physically, and then the font is lo- is actually <laughs> smaller, but also <laughs> it's a whole novel. So I guess you know you need to 
I don't know, this is more like an explicative book, while Circe is an actual tale, so... What I appreciated in, in this form for Antigone Rising as well is that, despite it being an essay, in a way, it never felt overwhelming for the head. She, Helen Morales, has a style which is very gentle yeah. and to the point. It's just a very honest style of writing, which makes it a very easy read and makes also the assimilation of the knowledge and the facts that she speaks about yeah. um, very easy, very easy and straightforward. And speaking of, which event or chapter of the book did you connect the most with? I didn't, uh, I didn't personally connect with this one for, for a particular reason, but I liked the um, Diana, the bus driver's hunter. Um, chapter it's nothing surprising it's nothing like it's not a oh my god i've never heard of this kind of stuff before kind of chapter it's nothing groundbreaking uh i think but it's i don't know i've always had this like interest in superheroes especially like female superheroes i'm like a big fan of like marvel superheroes so i don't know this this chapter sort of had this flavor kind of like you know supernatural powers kind of person um, taking matters in her own hands and I like that you know it's the typical situation that we find even nowadays like women are still pretty much the um, subject of a whole wide range of different types of violence and this is just a way of dealing with it in a, in a context where she has no resource to you know being able to go to what Morales calls the modern gods so like enforcement, judiciary, whatever. I mean, Mexico being one of the most corrupted countries in the entire world, she has to just take care of it herself. And it's pretty drastic the way she does it. But I remember talking about this chapter to a friend of mine. And I was really enthusiastic about it for exactly, I don't really know what particular reason. But I remember her saying like, oh, yeah, so, you know, I do understand why she did that. But I don't condone violence. And it's just one of the responses that I hate the most when people sort of try to it's like i don't want to get into a topic too much because i either i don't know what i'm talking about so i just want to still sort of sound smart so you know but in this case it's like it's this trend that i think the world has lately where you have to be uh, unknowingly politically correct so to speak so you don't have to tip over too much when it comes to some sort of controversial topic that a discussion focuses on and this is just that type of response like i don't want to I don't want to show my colors too much about what I really think or, you know, I need to say the right thing. So I need to sort of, you know, absorb some kind of like balance and equilibrium so I cannot go over too much. But in this case, I think you have a woman that kills bus drivers in the city of Juarez, which is a Mexican city, because women that used to go and do their shifts in the maquilas, which are the factories where, this, where they um, used to work, they had to endure sexual violence by the drivers of these buses and nobody would do anything about it so this woman that has never got caught so we don't have a name which i find also quite amazing um she just takes on she appropriates the role of what should have been actually the task of police officers and if we want courts um for a later development of this matter if, if they if, you know they ever got arrested and prosecuted in the first place but um, she takes on this role of taking revenge and like, you know, taking care and dealing and coping with this problem. And she just does it the only way she knows, which is 
killing these bus drivers. And she uses the icon of Diana, which has, if you think about it, has not, she, Diana has nothing to do with killing men in the mythology. Mm. Like, it's more the Amazon's sort of myth that has to do with fighting, like, you know, men if we want that. But Diana has nothing to do with A, vengeance, or, yeah, human killings. Diana is more used, like Antigone herself, like, she's more used for... I don't know, I would say the concept of resilience, resistance, you know, the, the concept of feminine freedom, which still in the 21st century seems like utopia. And I think she uses it, she assumes the role of the Diana of Ciudad Juarez, but for a different sort of purpose, which is a way of reinterpreting, if you will, like the myth of the Diana for um, adapting it to current circumstances. I think... Yeah, as I said, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's not like we never hear women having to take matters in their own hands, but it's just uh, also I think the way uh, the the fact that she never got caught I think just makes it even more mythological in a way. Totally, because I feel at the same time if she had been caught and if she then was her identity was revealed to everyone else, maybe her actions would lose some of that some of the impacts that it had at the time on the women and on the the bus drivers who then were scared for good reasons because a lot of them were guilty of um, having abused all of these women on their way to uh, the maquilas and it's interesting that also that you you mentioned the amazons because in an earlier chapter in the book um, helen morales does speak about the amazons and how they have to be killed by men and the reason they fight men is literally because they are being provoked by men. One of the first characters she does, she mentions is uh, Hercules. It's one of his tasks to go get the, the war belt of uh, Hippolyta. And, and he has to do this as well to make up for the fact that he committed um, abuse on his wife. I mean, abuse on his wife. He killed her. Mm. And your punishment for that is to go fight and kill another woman yeah um supposedly as well during the in the iliad achilles has to fight i cannot remember her name but another amazon and and uh, supposedly and allegedly falls in love with her right after having killed her and then gives her all the honors like yeah but you still killed her mm. so it's feeding into this narrative as well that women have to be killed and women who stand up for themselves and who know how to fight and who know how to just be themselves loud and proudly represented a danger and this is something that unfortunately still very much feels present and if you know in the lights of the recent events uh in london as well it's the 21st century and we're still having to have these conversations in actually back to the um, diana the hunter of bus driver chapters but uh, one of the women uh, local women who was interviewed in 2013 said that she remembered in high school being told by friends oh if you're going on that bus route take a pen with you that's the thing take a pen with you with the point facing outwards because you never know mm. for us it's the equivalent of having the keys in the hands mm. yeah especially in london where you can't have a pepper spray because otherwise you're going to be arrested but yeah so there's always this sort of it's like the underlying theme it's even nowadays it's like the, the fact that if you get violated somehow like also the punishment somehow always falls back at least in part on the woman being violated even in the myths like morales explains it very well at some point in the book where she says that even there's a there's a whole range of rape 
discourse like going on in some myths that give you like some sort of perspective on the sexual you know nature of of well back in the days and also on on the sexual nature of these rapes and these abuses this physical and also psychological abuses and the 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 end of the story sometimes or most of the times usually would involve the woman being violated like i think it was daphne and apollo yeah uh, where daphne becomes the tree and even after becoming the tree apollo violates her still because he says something on the lines of i'm going to use your bark to do some flute or whatever like so the the violence doesn't end there and even if the the punishment falls back on daphne because daphne is the one changing shape to escape the vulnerability of being subjected to this this horrible horrible uh, invasive violence by apollo so there's always anyway this coming back to the victim becoming also the person to blame in a way so i think mythology like morales is 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 right in saying that that mythology also sort of sheds a light like this is the kind of myth that that shed a light on still the current situation that is pretty much the same which is depressing if we think about it and i think also it ties in on the fact of why antigone rising is 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 the title of the book it's like judith butler has a really good analysis actually on antigone's claim um and one of the reasons why antigone gets used in current current um in, in you know the current climate and has always been used by the the movements of feminism particularly was in so far as you know representing resilience or or movements of protest or or you know resistance to a, a horrible oppressive regime antigone is the epitome of it and as butler says antigone in the play of sophocles she does two particular actions that basically allow her to reappropriate her agency as as a as a human with capacity of acting and thinking uh, even though she was a woman and she gets called manly because of it by Creon, by the messengers by the chorus in the play because the only reason why she's showing skills of leadership or you know strength and power is because she must be a a man she must show manhood obviously but in the sophocle play like she varies her brother who was also going against the regime of creon and she when she's she gets asked like okay so did you do that did you do the deed she doesn't say yes i did it but she also doesn't deny it so she doesn't deny doing it and these two actions allow her to sort of territorialize again that space in which she can finally create some sort of narrative for her to to act again and to be subversive so the the reason why antigone is used like so much and morales highlights it a lot during the the book up until the end when she says you know somos muchos is the reason that there's there's the need of using old icons so to speak to sort of recreate again these spaces even in the 21st century to just sort of have some sort of breath to act somehow which is depressing is what it is also, all of these myths and stories are being revisited constantly. They've been revisited in literature, in, in art, in paintings and everything. In films as well. With uh, I really enjoyed the... It's in, it's in the early stages of the book, but the references to Spike Lee's Chirac and the, how it is a retelling of Lizzie Strata's 
the story of Lysistrata and the, the, the sex strike as we now kind of have got to know it. She does, she's not scared of looking at every aspect, of looking at how these myths are still used today and also how we can carry on making them useful and how basically it's not just about how the myth was originally written, it's about how you read it today. And actually throughout the book towards the end, she does come to a very simple yet very effective conclusion, I believe, which is one of the conclusions of this book is that ancient myth stories have subversive power precisely because they can be told and read in different ways. In the words of novelist Ben Opry, myths always take wings and soar beyond the place where we can keep them fixed. They exist for a reason. We go back to them for a reason. There is something appealing. There is, we can make fun of the gods because they look and behave pretty horrendously sometimes. And it's a great way of, I don't know, letting some team go. It's a way of looking at what over-the-top behaviors can lead to. I mean, if we're taking, for example, we were talk you were talking about Apollo, but if we're looking at someone like Zeus, Jupiter as well, the character that was celebrated for so many years in, and I mean, I know when I was growing up, the book I had on uh, Greek myth was just celebrating him having killed his father, freed his siblings from the stomach of Kronos, and being this powerful god. If you look at the Disney version in Hercules, he's the perfect dad with the perfect wife. And then if you actually just do the reading, he's a serial rapist. He's a serial rapist, he's an abuser, and he, you know, we were raised on a version of the myth where Hera is scorned woman and is retaliating and being horrible to all of the lovers and everything. It doesn't ex excuse, you know, the behavior that she has, but it explains, wouldn't you be pushed to the end if your husband, king of the gods, was just having his way with every single mortal on the planet? Pretty much. <laughs> I think, when was it? It's, it's, a, it's one of the first sentences in the book, actually, where she goes, No one does power and rebellion and love and loathing quite like the gods and mortals of ancient mythology. And I still love the way that myths open up new ways of looking at the world. But it's the same, not just necessarily with myths, but with also novels and poems and everything. You can learn as much as you would from, I don't know, um, a self-help book or... Um, a knowledgeable book that you can from a myth, a painting, or a story. Stories, we tell them for a reason, we need them for a reason. It allows us to find identity. And it's something she does touch upon as well in the book quite a bit, especially with uh, the entire chapter she has about transgender mythologies. She ran a study amongst transgender and member of the queer community uh, as part of her students and asked them if they identified with a myth yes or not. And a lot of them appreciated the myth, but didn't always feel like they could recognize themselves fully in some of the characters that were presented. So mythologies, I think, help us find identity in a lot of ways and also maybe take a step back and look at things from a distance. Yeah. Um, in that particular chapter, it was interesting that she was saying you know, she, to me, she's, I have no idea who she is, like, even as an academic, I have no idea what Morales is like, but she strikes me as a purist in terms of, you know, interpretation and 
application of, of mythology. She strikes me as somebody that likes to read them, so to speak, like to the letter. Like she, you know, even during that chapter, you could say you could see it that she had an issue with misquoting, as she says, like a, a myth or a story from ancient mythology. But she, you know, she um, cites one of the books that. I read too, it was quite interesting, that is Boy Meets Girl from Ali Smith. And that particular one is about um, the, the Ifis and Yantes um, story. And the way that Ali Smith actually treats that myth is completely, it, it ends well, you know, in the sense that, I mean, the story is these two girls um, meeting up and falling in love pretty briefly. But Ali Smith's book, ends up in a in a pleasant way so without as morales says without the intervention of the gods so robin which is the other girl the more masculine if you will stereotypically masculine whatever that means and um, in the book of ali smith she doesn't ask or she doesn't go through a transition to be able to stay with um the protagonist of the book well for example in ifis and yante if he's like, I think she uh, she prays to Isis or the mother prays to Isis yeah. and to, to the point of asking her to be to please like transform into a man, which is problematic because I think transition, I think also Ellen does says that about um, about this in the book, but to, to read transition in those terms is problematic because you, I don't think people transition to escape whatever weaknesses they had with the sex they were born with. So I think in that sense, I understand why Morales has an issue with the result of the survey, because she says, you know, you probably guys haven't read the, the myth really well. You don't understand how tragic it was. But in the other in the other sense is you can reinterpret and you can sort of retell the story however you like it, I guess, um, in order for it to become a, a tool to, to be used for some sort of protest movement or, you know, some sort of advance of civil rights or whatever. So I guess as long as whatever myth you use or whatever story you tell and retell serves the purpose that you were telling that story for, I guess that's all right. Maybe that was the, the, the end point probably of the, of the student survey, I guess. Obviously, we're reading this a year after it came out and, and, and uh, it's coming out in paperback very shortly, which why it made it really hard for me to get hold of a hard copy. Because <laughs> first time round, I only focused on the audiobook because I am still in the process of healing my relationship to reading. In preparation for this episode, I really wanted a hard copy and it took me over a month and a bit to be able to get my hands on it because paperback is coming soon. But in your mind, do you think this is a book that is needed right now? How would you recommend it to someone? What would be the three main reasons, if I can say so, that someone would go and purchase it and read it? I think, first of all, you need to be passionate about, about ancient Greek and Roman mythology. Because <laughs> as I said, like the other group of, yeah, the other members of our group of the book club really didn't give a damn. Um, rightly so. I mean, it's, it's not to their taste. I mean, no fault in that. They're probably listening, knew. so we yeah. know you guys. <laughs> yeah, you guys are not going to be part of the book club anymore. Um, but that's why I knew the person that would respond to that would be you. Um, so first of all, you know, first and foremost, you really need to like, I think, Greek mythology. But um, having said that, as you said, like the the point of the book is is that 
mythology like it the appeal to it i think is it's ancient stories ancient more than anything we know more ancient than jesus christ so they predate everything that is you know known to us and i think the the fascination with it is that even though they're so old and they're so ancient ancient and they're so you know almost far gone in time they still can be applied somehow and probably considering what it's happening what has been happening since the first lockdown you know blm movement and all these these movements of protest and and all these fed up movements so to speak like that have emerged during the past year and a half is because i feel like there's there's finally maybe we can say there's no room to breathe anymore about so many things and the pandemic has exacerbated so many contexts and and issues and people had enough and maybe to to be able to find a metaphor or or another story that is so close to home in whatever fight you're fighting i guess it's it's useful not only to deploy to say you know well this is happening and maybe you know look at this we can do it this way or the other way or you know it's not so different from what happened in ancient greece or whatever but maybe it's also a way of finding respite and finding solace so to speak in 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 a story that has happened already in a different time and different place maybe sometimes to find something that is similar to what you're going through can be comforting so to speak but we need a narrative we we are human beings we're beasts we're you know we like stories we even morales says that you know in sophocles times that he tried to to write plays not plays but like he tried to write theater um stuff that had to do with like serious issues in a serious manner and it didn't stick because people were it, it was too close to home they couldn't deal with it so they needed a different you know method and making people laugh was a way of doing it and it was also a way of making them deal with the issues that were going on in the uh, in the demos at that time so maybe that's what we need we need a way of retelling the issues that we're going through because some people will listen at that point yeah when you're not feeling when you're not in a great place or when you you've experienced trauma or abuse of some kind you can find a lot more peace and solace in a narrative in poetry in fiction than you will in the news because the news will always kind of send you back to that place of anxiety that reminder that your news you were you potentially made the news but were not named or the the reason why you're making the news is connected to something deeply traumatic and also not narrated in a way that showcases exactly who was the villain um if we're thinking back to you know very recent um events people are just naming the guy who went into that salon and and decided to shoot all of these asian women but it's his name that's in the news it's not the name of the victims it's um you can find a lot more peace or you can find a lot of peace in myths and tales and it doesn't have to be you know just Roman or Greek, obviously, this is um, this book is dominantly focusing on these, but there is an entire chapter around the work that Beyonce did for her um, apeshit video, where that was filmed in the Louvre Museum in Paris, and the Louvre Museum in Paris barely has. I think there's only twenty-one female painters, and out of these, 
none of them are female painters of color um, because all of these African and Ocean um, artworks are exposed in another museum. But there are so many other mythologies that she's inviting to explore. And in that entire chapter about that kind of analyzes the work that Beyonce did for that video and, you know, dancing in front of the, um, the victory of Samothrace and the v v Venus de Milo and all of these, reclaiming the myth of Oshun with the wonderful yellow color, celebrating Yoruban and Egyptian ancestry and mythology. There is a lot to be found in every single myth on the planet. It's one thing I was realizing when reading this, actually, I was just like, I know a few African myths and I know a few Asian myths, but I don't feel I know as much as I do in the, for the Greeks or for the Romans, just also because it's how, it was how the curriculum was um, for us growing up. But it's something that I want to explore the heck out of. So if you yeah. want to go down the route of exploring <laughs> myths that we were denied Growing up, I yeah. would happily go down that adventure with you. I'm glad you said that because I don't know in France, I'm pretty sure it's the same, but like, for example, the south of Italy, you can tell that there is like a very strong Arabic influence, especially, for example, in our architecture. Yeah. You can tell. And also, for example, in the layout of internal, you know, gardens. And you can definitely tell that there was a, a an encounter between the two cultures. And so I always wondered why... Why so, like, you know, the retelling of myths and stuff, why is so Eurocentric? Why is so focused on, on you know, the Roman Empire or the, the ancient Greece, you know, era? Which, they're beautiful myths, but I wonder how much, as you said, how much are we missing out on just because our curricula were built in a certain way that obviously is, let's say, it white-based. Um, and so, it's serving a narrative. Exactly. It's serving that narrative it's definitely as well. serving a narrative, which usually is politically... Um, politically tainted so i think um it is important for us to to not just i mean she focuses on greek and roman mythology but i think she also highlights it pretty well as you said in the beyonce's chapter where she says you know just just also because actually a couple of the isis and the yantanifis uh, myth for example i don't think it's 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 greek or because isis was an egyptian it's um, yes so she does she does jump between greek roman or the the major ones but she also mentions yoruban yeah. and egyptian myth in it yeah so she is fully conscious and i didn't actually until we did the second reading i didn't i didn't catch that the first time um but i think yeah that's important to say like let's not get stuck in you know the usual dialogues and speaking speaking of italy she does mention it in the book so i'm wondering if <laughs> You know what I'm going to say. I'm wondering because these were talks apparently pre-pandemic pre happening that Beyonce was in talk to do a video in the Coliseum. Yeah. I've never heard of it, actually. I didn't know. But I'm not a big... I mean, in my defense, I'm not a big fan of Beyonce. I'm not... Uh, fan of, hang on, so fan of her music, or like it's not no her music, her music as a, as a as an icon. Actually, I, I agree with a lot that she does to be fair as an activist. So yeah, you're right with the distinction. Like her music, I'm not a big fan, but I, so I didn't know. But I wanted to research that because I wonder. I don't think it's that easy to go into the Coliseum to no. <laughs> shoot a movie music video. As a tourist, when I was seven years old, that was already really difficult. <laughs> yeah, because you can't get it like the arena. You can't get you can't get in the middle of the exactly. arena. Exactly. Like the arena in my city, you can, but the Colosseum you can't. You can only see, I think, from the 
so you when i visited it and that was hello 1997 1997 maybe 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 1997 yeah 96 that that kind of time but we you end up just walking around and then yeah. you there used to be i'm not sure if this, this still exists but you used to be able to go to the top and have a look down so you yeah. saw it from downstairs <laughs> saw it from upstairs yeah. but you could never go in the middle yeah. and that that was what frustrated me because um i really wanted to go in the middle and like <laughs> gladiator style and it was really interesting as well because the one of the guides that you know were taking people in in turns around the the coliseum was saying that they used to fill the arena with water and recreate like naval battles yeah. and you just looked at this and this empty space <laughs> in the middle yeah. of the coliseum that's not very empty because you have these pillars here and there and you just think this was full of water they filled it with water and put like something to have fun. i mean panemit sekinses <laughs> bread and game yeah. bread and games that's all you need is it bread and entertainment or brandon bread and entertainment yeah <laughs> could work we'd have to rewatch uh, rewatch gladiator to understand okay. that even though in france all of the greek and latin teachers would always kind of bash gladiator for mm. the latin that was used because there's actually a lot of grammatical mistakes <laughs> here and there, Absolutely. which I find hilarious. Like you're nitpicking, because if you look very carefully at the beginning of the film, when uh, Maximus goes to feed his horse, you can see um, just jeans, mm. like two legs in a pair of jeans, walking in the background right underneath the horse's head. Also, wasn't there like an air? Is it is it Troy or Gladiator where there's an airplane coming over at some point, or like the watch or something? Uh, like that? There's so in Troy, there's a. There's an airplane. There's also, um, I think, I can't remember. It's a very official sports brand shoe that the Myrmidons are oh, wearing. Yeah. And then you can actually see the brand underneath. And you go, yes, sure. Because in ancient Greek mythology, <laughs> this brand already existed. Um, no, in Gladiator, there's actually quite a few. Um, when he's doing the, have you, uh, have you not had enough? Mm. There's a pan out. Uh, a very wide shot and you can see a camera guy with a cowboy hat oh, in the corner and you just go i mean yeah it's just this is this is this is how it is um i th i think there's a few videos on on the on the youtube where you can see every single default in films there used to be this um french youtube channel that did it for so many films and they had a new film every weekend my younger brother and i religiously watched it and like we know that film let's see <laughs> let's see all the things that we had already noticed and then the things that we're gonna learn and find out about <laughs> like tallies oh it was it was um i i i really recommend it i still i haven't rewatched troy in years i have too not too long ago so i need to wait a little bit longer now but i mean i don't like brett pitt usually i mean i think it's like dicaprio i think he becomes better with age but as an Achille, I can see why. No, but also Patroclus, Patroclus and uh, Achilles being cousins in that film, and you go, Oh, yeah, no, is... in that sense, it's absolutely wrong. Somebody took the Iliad and was like, Nope, we're gonna change that. It's too much for Americans, they're too, um, pure, like, puritans about that. But I know. remember Peter O'Toole as uh, Priam, though. Mm. And I mean, it's Peter O'Toole, he was an absolute legend of an actor we're going off topic but yeah, i'm enjoying right. i'm That's enjoying always. this off topic it's a it's a, it all. <laughs> bringing back all the memories 
that we clearly needed to... <laughs> well, it's just, you know, when it's something that's so dominant in pop culture and we grew up in Europe and these were just things that were there. And I don't feel the need to rewatch Troy, to be honest. Because, <laughs> I mean, this is going a whole deeper level. Um, so basically, it's a good read. And... I think also it's it's a I think it's an important read more than a good read just because also it it's um it helps you get a better understanding of how the myth and the philosophy using the term with a lot of brackets of abusing of women of killing of women is actually as old as time and I learned a lot from uh from a historical point of view as well in this because she's also using recent events from the early 2000s that I, I, I knew nothing about. I absolutely knew nothing about. So if you're looking to gain more knowledge around women history, violence against women, trying to get a better understanding as to why women could be a little bit tired right now, I feel this book does a very good job at not overwhelming you with facts and not making you feel too depressed <laughs> about so many aspects of life. And it's not, it's not a man bashing book as well either. It's just looking at systems that were in place and looking at acts of resistance and what they've led to. And if using myths is the way to pass that knowledge forward to teach, then hey, embrace every single myth, not just from Roman and Greek, but look up Aztec mythology, look up Inuit mythology, look up Asian mythology, just go wild and go explore myth because you will find a story that will resonate with a part of your life at some point somewhere. Ilaria, my friend, it's been uh, always a pleasure, never a chore. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that was great. Thanks for having me, seriously. And to everyone else who's tuned in, a huge thank you to have tuned in for this first batch of Mindful Chats. Don't forget you have your Thursday episodes every Thursday. Q's in the name. And I am going to see as to when I could be releasing more of these little bonus episodes. Meanwhile, look after yourself, keep hydrated, and I'll speak to you soon. 